Welcome to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. My name is Stuart Pedley-Smith, Head of Learning at Kaplan here in the UK. In this series, you're going to hear from both students and experts as we take a look at a range of topics relating to personal and career success in the world of accountancy and finance. My guest today is Paul Cheatham. He's the founder of Sudulu Group, an award-winning advisory firm and investment house which specialises in accounting, corporate finance, wealth management and much more. Paul has written a book, Taking Care of Business, and has his own podcast which goes out under the same name. Paul's achievements are impressive, but that's not what we're here to talk about. He's used his talent, drive and ambition to provide him and his family with a good lifestyle. But most importantly, and very intentionally, he took him into the world he loves, the world of sport. Paul, thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. Paul, in the introduction, I said a few things to try and capture your story so far, but could you could you add a few more details, in particular uh, about your early years, and I think you had some advice from school that was a little bit limiting and perhaps pigeonholing you? Yeah, and it's something I'm quite passionate about as, as I've kind of moved on. I came from a very working class family. And lived in a very, very working class area. Um, I grew up on a council estate. And with respect to the school I went to, it wasn't the norm really to leave with decent results and decent grades. And therefore, what success was deemed at when I was in what would be year 11 or fifth year at school was, can you get a job? You go to a school where if you get a job, it's a result. So when I get to fifth year and it looks like I'm going to get some fairly decent GCSE results, the careers advisor at the school back then was, was advising me to get a job. And by the way, if I got a job in this mechanics garage, um, I'd have a job for life. So I did, like everybody did then, a two weeks work experience. I remember it vividly the day, to be honest, that I started, I get there at nine o'clock. I'm excited. I'm about 15 years old. I'm in my overalls. I can't remember the guy's name now, but I was paired up with a guy. And, and from 9.30 a.m., he would say to me, only another 45 minutes, Paul, and it's bacon butty time. And all we ever did throughout that first day, and I remember it, was was just count down the days to the next break. And I can just remember being a 15-year-old, I would have been at the time, thinking, there's got to be more to life than this. And it just struck a chord with me that I was not going to fall into that race. I was not going to be part of what I now believe is a system. I'm quite passionate about that. And I'm not going to do something where somebody else or something else is going to identify my limitations or my opportunities. And so immediately I registered to go to do A-levels, right, which not many people did. I then went on to do a uh, sports science degree originally. So my original degree was in sport. I loved sport. We'll come on to that in a bit. And again, my grandma, she's from the system, right? She loves me, God bless her. And she turned around and said, hey, Paul, you've got a degree. She goes, well, there's a job going in the butchers, in Titterton's butchers in the village. And I think, Here's my grandma now trying to put me back into the system, trying to put me back into the box. And I finished my sport degree, and I'm about to do a PGCE, which is what I was going to do then. And then I get what was like the list of uh, salaries that you get for being a teacher, and it was very, very specific. So every time I seemed to get somewhere, there was something coming in that kind of said, this is what you can do now you've got there. This is kind of the level of opportunity. And uh, I've spent the last 20-odd years fighting back against that and kind of making my own way. The difficulty is when you're 15, most people take the easy route. Well, they take the advice, you know, you're told to listen to people who are a bit older and wiser, aren't you? 
Paul, I've got a question. It says, how do you describe yourself? So that's not physically. Um, it's in terms of, are you, are you an accountant or an entrepreneur or something else? To be honest with you, I, I am an accountant. And I think we'll talk about how that actually underpins everything. And it, there was an element of good fortune as there is in everybody's story. I don't know about the term entrepreneur. When you come from a place where I've come from, and even when you get to where I've got to today, you still have that kind of imposter syndrome where you can't, you know, to me, Richard Branson's an entrepreneur. I guess it depends. One of the things I think you have to be in life is a chameleon. So sometimes you have to be an accountant and sometimes you have to be an entrepreneur. By the way, it helps if you can be both. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good, that's a, actually, it's a brilliant answer. So you got your sports science degree, and then how did you, how did you then get into finance? So you, you, you'd got your A-levels, you'd got your sports science degree, you wanted to do something in sport, and then you end up in accountancy. How did that bit happen? Well, so the first thing was, I started to look for jobs that I thought gave lots of potential. And somehow... Deloitte's uh, prospectus for graduates was around. So I looked at that and it was quite a good starting salary as well, better, much better than a teacher's. So I thought, hold on a minute, let me go for an interview at Deloitte. I didn't know what an accountant was. So he asked me all these questions and I genuinely didn't have a clue. And at the end of it, the guy said to me, you've interviewed so well, but you have no clue about this job, do you? So he said, I just can't give you the job. You know, you We've got people here who know about Deloitte. They know about the industry. They may be done a finance degree. But I feel a bit down that I have to make that decision because I'd love to give you a job. He actually said to me, what I'd like to, you to do, because I can see sort of the hunger and the fire in your belly. I'd like to give you um, an opportunity to meet the guy who headed up then, um, Deloitte Sport. And they reached out to me and said, listen, we've just set up, helped set up the Premier League. We're just about to do the same thing in Norway. We can give you a job unpaid, but you'll have to go out to Norway, we'll pay your expenses, and you can go and learn to be an accountant on that job, which was perfect for me. Except for an entrepreneur then approached me and said, I've just set up a business that's growing quickly and I need an accountant. I don't know one. You've got a degree, so I'm sure you can do it. So do you want to come and be my accountant? So I took that job instead. And what actually happened, again, another element of luck and fluke was, one, I got the job, but two, he became ultra-successful relatively quickly and because I was one of the first in the finance team that went from say I don't know say there was five or six of us within 18 months there was about 95 accountants in his internal finance team running his business and the truth of the matter was I led that team because of a work ethic that I had that was way beyond what all my other peers had way beyond and, and there was that element of hunger, that working classness that I had, that desire to get the job done. So you got this big job and you were studying at the same time as that. And how did you, just out of curiosity, how did you study for that? So the job was like real full-on job and we had to do weekends and that was it. So we had to do weekends. I did ACCA um, because obviously I wasn't working the practice, but I did three years for him. So I did the three years from start to finish and became qualified in ACCA. And then their auditor actually approached me and offered me a position. Pretty much on about 50, 60% of the salary I was on. And I took the job. So I then went to work for his audit practice and I went to work in practice and I did four years. Which is completely the wrong way around, isn't it, really? <laughs> you know, you normally find people in it's... practice trying to get out and you were... You went back in. But it was good training then, I guess. 
Well, that was the thing, you see. What I learned in the first four years of my career was complete commercialism, complete value-added, complete mm. hands-on, even emotional intelligence. Like, what does an entrepreneur need? What support do they need? That kind of thing, when I moved into practice, was like gold dust. By the way, the stuff I learned in practice was gold dust because I learned more compliance. I learned, obviously, the more tax. I learned the audit. I learned a lot more about the compliance aspect. And I think putting the two together just gave me such a structure, really, for the rest of my career. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm sure a few other things happened in the middle, but then you set up Sudulu. Tell us a little bit about that transition from, if you like, being employed to then becoming effectively self-employed. I can't remember, you know, like a, a, a sort of iconic moment where I'm like, I just have to do this. But I just felt like, in practice, it's very, very much about saying you're going to be value-added but in reality, being very compliant-led. And, and that didn't suit itself to my nature. And um, I wanted to help people in the way that I helped, you know, my, my boss in the early days. I actually preferred, if I'm honest with you, being part of multiple journeys rather than one. So I liked the practice environment of multiple clients, but I liked the, the actual day-to-day -day work in my first job, which was creating change implementing change and creating value. So I set it up. I looked around for a practice, couldn't find one, thought I'm going to do my own. And that was that. Paul, thanks for that. Can you tell us a little bit about the way that you've shaped the clients? I want to come back to the sport theme, which we kind of left a little bit when you had your sports degree. So you built, you're, you're building a business with a slightly different philosophy, but you also had an underlying ambition as well, really, to take it into the area of sport. So for me, it was like, did I really enjoy being an accountant? I'm not so sure. But what I enjoyed was the opportunities that it opened up. There is a need for most people to have an accountant. But I always wanted to do something that I was passionate about. And I was passionate about sport. So in the early days, I started to look around the sports world and see how I could get involved. Then I looked at it and thought, there are too many people doing what I do and feeding off that industry. So what I actually did was I took a back step for a moment, having analyzed it, and thought, I need to become successful out of that industry before I go into it. It's quite important, that. Because then what I actually did was I went away and I just focused on the day job. I focused on building businesses, building my profile in the business world first. And so when I felt like I had a strong enough credibility that I could then go in with a track record of success into the sports world and slowly infiltrate that world, um, which I did. And, um, and now we act for a number of football clubs. We act for a number of sporting governing bodies. We act for a number of uh, rugby clubs. We act for individuals, footballers, rugby players, boxers, you know, rappers, TV presenters. So we act across the whole... Um, spectrum really of sport and entertainment now hi i'm sandil malikarchi from sri lanka i'm 21 i did sema and i'm currently employed as a senior associate in risk advisory at dy i'm still in my early career in accountancy and finance i've always tried to keep my options open and not be limited to one area this is until I have a strong conviction of what I want to do. Right now, risk advisory seems to ideally complement my likings and aptitudes, 
but I'm still engaged in accountancy projects. In sports, they say, and I believe as a track athlete myself, athletics is the mother of all games. I think the same could be said for accounting in this field. Paul, you touched on it then a little bit. Um, I just wanted to talk about your philosophy, really. So that's just sort of the, the way that you brought the business out. But your philosophy, human potential and human optimism, because that, regardless of the story, that's that's there all the time, isn't it? It is. And um, it, again, it's something that I'm really passionate about. You know, if I take one of my athletes that I look after, if they've got a performance on a Monday, they've prepared their mental and physical state for ultimate performance. And lots of us, we never have that opportunity to play in front of 80,000 or fight in front of 80,000 people. But we still have an activity to perform on a day-by-day basis. Now, that could be, I've got a meeting in the morning with JD Sports. In order to have that meeting and be at optimum performance, I've got to take human performance on a day-to-day basis seriously. Because if I go out on the day before my nine o'clock meeting with JD Sports, for example, and I've had five pints, and I've had fish and chips, and I don't sleep very well, and I get up in the morning and I'm a slightly hungover, or even if I'm at 80%, you know, you don't get a boxer going in a ring at 80%. There has to be a discipline that's put in place. And I live my life as if I'm an athlete, but my channel of activity is business. The offices is my arena. I really am a failed sportsman. I should have... <laughs> I should have had a sport. I suppose really what I'm keen for people to sort of take away from this and be inspired by what you, you're saying is that it's not, it, it, the things have not fallen into your lap. I think it would be unfair to say that you haven't had a few problems because when you, when you, you know, we've got a short period of time together and I'm asking you, can you just string to this together? But there must have been some dark times and there must have been failures and stuff that didn't quite work out because that's the other part of the story, isn't it? I mean, I, I probably haven't got the time to go into the depth of it right now. There, there's been a lot of problems. And early on, there was a lot of mental issues. You know, I suffered from panic attacks in the early days. You know, so I had to develop strategies to continue performing with, with, with mental illness. And you find that's rife in, in, in business owners. The business problems, you know, they never stop. And, and particularly, I remember 12 years ago, I, I don't think I'd want to live through it again. But to paint a picture, I'd, I'd ended up making a client successful and selling it. And the person that bought it then asked me to go on their board and it was a listed company in Sweden and I was 28 or 29. I couldn't speak Swedish. I took the job because as, as a business, we needed the money, you know, as an advisory firm. So I took the job as the advisor. But they had no money. The stock market crashed. It was 2008, 2009. The bank had pulled 10 million of funding. And literally, we might have 300 euros in the bank across 10 countries. I went through two years of every time the phone called, I would feel sick. Now, it then got to the point where if that business failed, my business would have failed. And of course, if you're an accountant and you fail, it's game over. And I'm 28. I've only just set it up. And all the mess that I was in. And there was eight of us started the job, the owner and seven advisors. And I was the only one that saw it through. But it got to the point where if I didn't see it through... I lost the business, which meant I lost the house, which meant I lost everything. I lost my livelihood as an accountant. And let me tell you, for two years, it wasn't, it was within a whisker of going bust every day. And, and that kind of pressure, um, 
You know, it's uncomfortable. It's not a nice place to be. I wouldn't ever want to go back there. I've invested in a lot of businesses that have failed. Um, again, pre the recession, we made some money off selling some businesses and I thought it had the Midas touch. So I invested in five or six brands. All of them failed when the recession comes. So I spent all that money. I was back to square one. So it's a constant, constant success and failure graph. Yeah, because we hadn't spoke about that before. I wanted to just to bring that in because it sounds such a beautiful story, doesn't it? But I think, you know, everybody's got the sort of challenges that they go through. I think people have got to see both sides of the coin and it gets tough and there are times when you've just got to knuckle down and, as you kept saying, in that seat through. Paul, I'm going to attempt to summarise this. Um, chapter three of the Cheapsom uh, novel. So this this is sort of my takeaways from this. So you, you said you come from a, a working class background and had to fight against some pretty limiting stereotypes right from the start and career options that you were given. But you ignored that and followed your dream to do something that involved sport. But it would have been hard to predict the route that you ultimately got you to where you wanted to be. And I guess that few would have said that it would be a route through accountancy and finance. Paul, that's my best summary of uh, the, the first three chapters. Is there anything you can add in terms of, you know, key takeaways or one big message? And look, there's been a, there's been quite a few of them, so I'm asking you to summarise those. And then books that you'd recommend or things that inspired you? I know you take a lot of inspiration from sport, but is there anything that you would leave the listeners with that they can just follow up on some of the things that you've been talking about? Yeah, I think I think the biggest takeaway, and, and, and everybody says this, that's, that is successful. They, they, they tend to be successful in something they enjoy doing. And I think accountancy can be, it, it, it gives you such an opportunity. And if you like music, be an accountant in music. If you like fashion, be an accountant in fashion. It can't always be good. Some things I've mentioned a few times in, in, in this uh, podcast, that it was a means to an end. My second job, my first job in practice, was a means to an end. When I set up my business, I then left the world of sport to go back into it when I felt I could go in in a stronger position. So don't confuse doing something where you love with doing something every day that you love, right? Because that's not how it works. But... Never forget what your passion is and how you're going to get there. And so that would be my, my first takeaway. My second takeaway would be treat it seriously to, to make sure that whatever you do, you just do it to your fullest. And it's easier to do something to your fullest, by the way, if you love what you do. So they come hand in hand. And they would be the two things that I would say more than anything. Um, just try and see what your what your limitations are, find your limitations, see what your glass ceiling is and let you be the determining factor behind your own opportunities and not a system or a person or an organisation. Make sure it's you. Mm. And resources, but where do you get your inspiration? Maybe it's from the people you meet, but do you read, do you listen to podcasts or...? My favourite book is Shoe Dog by uh, the founder of Nike. It's a memoir of Nike and I think he turned over a million dollars after about year 10. Right, so it gives you an idea of the pain that you have to go through before he became an overnight success, of course. Uh, I read a lot of sports books because I'm interested in the sport in mind because there's that pursuit of excellence. I'm, I'm intrigued by people performing at a high level. 
And just and your your own podcast, Paul. Just tell us briefly if people want to listen to that because that is about sports people, isn't it? It's about it's about both actually. So uh, taking care of business is the podcast, and um, it's all about the world of Sajulo really. So it will have anyone from the owner of JD Sports to the criminals who have changed their life to Alistair Brownlee, the double Olympic gold medalist, to boxers, world champions. It's a mixture of what we've talked about on this podcast really, which is that amalgamation of world-class mindset and world-class performance so it's on itunes and uh, spotify and all the rest of them paul thanks for joining me today thanks for having me thank you for listening to kaplan's learn better podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review on apple podcasts to help more people find us let's continue the conversation Follow us on social at Kaplan UK and let us know what you'd like to hear discussed on future episodes.